You know, this morning, it was known now who are people who will be pardoned by Trump in his yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a secret hope, crazy, that maybe as a crazy gesture, there were some hints. Uh, Julian Assange and Snowden will be on it. They are not on it. It's just the usual corrupted gang, Steve Bannon, and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay, he also, because he was convinced, I heard, in the last minute not to do it, he didn't pardon his family and, and himself. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like this paradox to be able to pardon yourself because you know who is here my ideal I read this I will be very brief not take your time too much in a book on Martin Luther not King Mm -hmm. the black fighter but Protestantism religion no and do you know what uh, what was so shocking for Luther when he visited Rome let's Mm -hmm. say you are a rich guy Mm-hmm. You were not only, it was not only possible if you were wealthy and influential to simply buy off your sin. You did something horrible, you pay a big sum to the church, you were pardoned. But there was a wonderful twist. You could buy off, pay, so that you are nonetheless saved for future sins. Like, I have a rich uncle, I want his money, I want to kill him, but in advance, I make it sure that I will pardon, you know. <laughs> like, I, I would like to introduce this into, but okay, I talk too much. Who is the boss? I'm, I'm going to be a host. So I'm going to actually carry on the you know, whole uh, sequels. So actually, follow, uh, please actually follow my uh, you know, direction. And so I, I want to introduce uh, actually my friend, Job, and uh, Manoji. Manoji from India, Job from Japan. Just say, say hello, hello to each other. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, you are, you from India, you are from that university which is all the time in trouble. Yes, Jamia. Jamia yes. Islamia. Thanks for, thanks for your message last time. Like it was around this year, this, this time last year that we got your message and we were in trouble at that yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, but how is this going now? Because, you know, these things don't necessarily mean a lot, but symbolically, yes. I read in the newspapers that now, I don't know the name, the guy who killed Mahatma Gandhi, mm-hmm. that now he's in some Hindu circles treated as a saint. There is now a sacred place for him, for him and so on. I mean, this is going pretty far politically. I yes, rather yes. Not, sorry? Yes, it is, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, okay, who cares? It's just a symbol, but it's probably behind this there is a lot of horrible political measures, no actual, not just symbolic acts, no? This protest was all halted just because of the pandemic. Right now the protest against CA and uh, the Citizenship Act was halted by the pandemic, and then it is completely... Uh, dispersed right now. Now the university is also not functional. So uh, that sort of protest is sort of arrested. But right now at this age, as a sort of repetition, there is a formal protest going on. Yeah, yeah. And, yes, and then yeah. the fringes of Delhi. Farmers are on the street. The farmers <laughs> against the Modi, Modi government. Yeah. Against the Modi government. Uh, 
Okay, let's not. Okay, no, I know this. I uh, but uh, okay, we don't have time if we want to go because I was always interested in this situation. For example, already how I knew the situation in a little bit in Kerala and around Kolkata, West Bank. Yeah. Uh, no, West Bank, not that West Bank, but <laughs> India. Uh, east, sorry, East. Uh, 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 Bengal, where I, I heard that communists became there more businessmen and started to sell land. And that the result was many, many thousands of small farmers doing suicides, no? and so on. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a situation in Bengal. I am not very much aware of the situation in Bengal. I cannot authentically say about it. But in, uh-huh. in Kerala, it's not the case. In Kerala, I think uh, the Communist Party is right now in 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 power, and they have it's done. Is that good? Yeah, they have done a good job during the pandemic, I guess. Yeah. Ah, also this, also this, but also I. It's a little bit vulgar explanation, but maybe also because. I read somewhere that they are relatively well organized and so on, but also many people from Kerala worked in the Arab Emirates and they get some money back. That is also makes a little bit easier, no? Yes, yes. yes. And it's a popular tourist destination, no? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, have been in, you have been in Kerala in 2010, I guess, right? Sorry? You you came here came to Kerala in 2010, I guess. Like as I know, I know. It looks so fast. You know, now I have a different classification of time. You know, uh, I think there will soon be children to whom we will be saying, "You remember that time when we just took a plane and went somewhere and so on?" This is becoming <laughs> another another universe. Sorry, but we are losing time. I'm very sorry that I talk too much. Okay. If Alex is the boss... Yeah. It's time. It's time to start. All right? Yes. <laughs> it's time to start. Actually, people uh, start joining us. Uh, welcome to uh, this uh, event. Actually, this kind of uh, uh, the lecture series. Um, today is uh, actually the first episode we actually going to open. So... Uh, we have uh, two channels in Zoom as well as actually YouTube Live. So uh, anybody you know could, can uh, watch you know, what we are doing on the YouTube. And then uh, if you have a kind of question the, after this session was in in the middle of our talk, please actually put down on the chat, the live chat. You know, we can read it and then just you know the um, try to actually answer to actually your question. Mm. Okay, just uh, let's start. Let's kick off the, actually um, the, this event. Um, I'm very glad and honored to uh, have Slavo Jizek, my friend and comrade, and then also the, my colleagues, Manoji and Job here. Um, this lecture series launched to help uh, connect the critical post-media studies to a broader audiences. I made this new field. We actually tried to make this new field and then that's why just uh, it is very noteworthy, you know, that we can begin this meaningful event with Slavoj Žižek. Undoubtedly, he is one of the preeminent, you know, the intellectual and the philosopher uh, who have participated in many practical events. And his new book about Hegel raises urgent and timely issues, preserving further intervention into the link between technology and capitalism in the pandemic situation we experience today. 
Slavoj already wrote uh, several books and then about Hegel and then applied his uh, interpretation of Hegelianism for analyzing current situation and issues. He's one of the most prolific writers today and then does not stop writing day and night. You know, the Slavoj published two books about COVID-19 pandemic last year already and many articles about global politics, including United States uh, elections and Trump and um, actually, you know, the Brexit and the Russian, you know, the um, the agendas. Above all, his appeal to the reinvention of communism in particular brings out the various resonances across the world. And in, in particular, to Global South, you know, the, he is actually, uh, he has a huge influence on the Global South activism. Above all, uh, his appeal to the uh, the communism is actually you know produced lots of effect you know and then you know the as as much as his previous works by which he could gain international influences controversy and substantial audiences his recent works of hegel also embrace embrace various spectrums around the marxism psychoanalysis and post-structuralism in his new book and we're gonna actually deal with this new book today hegel in a wired brain, quite a sexy title, you know, Hegel in the, actually, you know, in the wired brain, Slavoj seems to continue his project by taking technological advancements such as AI and algorithm, and then so-called these days, actually the fourth, you know, in industrial revolution. And this book does not reject assumption of singularity, but, uh, you know, actually in the, you know, the AI, you know, uh, the mm. science, but uh, philosophize it properly. So he does not want actually, you know, reject, you know, the technological advancement, but try to uh, philosophize it. I think uh, this, this actually the con uh, re retain kind of continuity, you know, from the philosophy philosophical project, you know, um, since the Bergson, you know, tried to uh, produce kind of metaphysic of, you know, science and technology. So that's why just uh, we choose, you know, this book. You know, this book is quite timely and urgent. You know, um, the. The Slavoj wants to know how to how to the direct link of brain to the machine could handle the unconscious. As far as I understand, you know, this book deals with this problem directly. In its terms, the unconscious is the locus where the Hegelian dialectic works out in full swing, a mode of subjectivity retroactively inventing a point of origin. For instance, his explanation of Hegel, Hegel's concept of uns. So it, that is very fantastic. And then also the, it could be reached at you know many actually different fields. So uh, this creation only happens after it affects the human mind and behavior. A central credo of this book is the void that makes the human beings as a subject, and its consequences for singularity in in, in you know technological development such as AI. So he uses Hegel to let us understand what is happening around in terms of technology these days. In particular, actually, the, this kind of technological situation um, by which the global capitalism, you know, still survive, you know. So uh, um, the, we actually are gonna talk about, you know, the aftermath, you know, when he finished this book. That means uh, we already had, you know, quite different experience, you know, from what he actually discussed in this book. So uh, that's why just we um, prepared this, you know, the debate. And then we're gonna actually give some kind of question to him. Yeah, please add a big applause to him and then just welcome, you know, to him to join our, you know, the event. Thank you for coming, Slavoj. 
I'm grateful to be here. Thank you very much. But I don't like this remains of bourgeois cult of celebrities and individualism in you, like that you focus on me. I warn you, technologically, I, from the standpoint of science and so on, I don't know a lot about this project of the so-called wired brain. Mm -hmm. I don't know in what sense it can happen, probably in a very limited way. Mm -hmm. I don't, what I'm trying to guess is if it will happen, what mm -hmm. will this mean for our everyday life, for our freedom? Is this, as some pessimists think, the end of human freedom that we can be totally transparent to some uh, uh, to some digital machine and especially to those who control this digital machine or as some others think are we ed entering a new post-human collective awareness where some even speak theological language where we will be in immediate spiritual contact not only with each other but that through this, millions of individuals united in the same uh, mental space, we will create a new form of divinity. Mm -hmm. Now, which view, what will happen, and especially which part of the human being, the way we know it now, will survive? Another thing that I find and then I will stop. I will try to be short. Another thing that I find uh, interesting is the co combination of this technological trend of mm. wired brain, uh, uh, to put it in a very simple way, wired brain simply means that your mental processes could be and it's already happening, although in a very limited, primitive way, directly registered, perceived by some digital machine. And mm -hmm. if another person is linked, also attached to that machine, this means that, and this Elon Musk, who shouldn't be taken too seriously as a scientist, but he is a kind of a trend-setting prophet, the, the dream is that language will no longer be needed, human language mm -hmm. in this case. Because when I think something, it will be immediately transparent to you, language is not needed. Now, my point is, what does this mean for the structure of subjectivity? What does it mean for the structures of domination, should we be pessimists in the sense that either machine itself or those who control the machine are controlling us, not in the old totalitarian way, where police is observing you and so on. And this is even a step further from our usual idea of mental, sorry, of uh, digital control, where we know this. Ma machines uh, now register practically e everything, all the data, all 
that we do. If you read through Kindle, what do you buy, uh, all financial transactions, even your emotions and so on. Like, But uh, here we go a step further in the usual forms of digital control. Your acts, mental decisions, I buy this, I watch that TV program, are registered. But here, the idea is that directly your lived self-experience can be. Mm -hmm. Of course, as usual, when those in power present this idea, they do the, the humanitarian trick. They mm -hmm. always evoke extreme medical cases when this could be of some use, you know. Like they say, for example, there is a guy who is totally crippled, but if you attach him to a computer which can, uh, which can uh, identify his basic ideas and so on, you make life much easier for him. For example, we already have, I always mention the example of uh, Stephen Hawking. I was told that before he died, he no longer needed his finger, <laughs> the only part that he was able to move. Uh, but uh, he just thought forward and his wheelchair was moving forward. So it's a magic dimension where you think and your thoughts, this is divine-like in the usual sense of the divine, directly imply reality. But the problem is, of course, that it also goes the other way around. The machine or those who are behind the machine control you. And so what will all this mean to, capitali to uh, capitalism? Here, uh, so, okay, I, I, I will stop. Just two points, uh, questions I want to raise. You know, I'm trying to speak as naively and plainly as possible. First, uh, what we, how will this change our self-understanding as human beings? Because all our interaction is based on language. And all our communication is based on the ambiguities of language, how you say something, but you really mean another thing and so on, all these paradoxes of communication. Uh, will, will the digital machine be able to read all this or will there be some complications? My thesis is maybe a little bit too optimistic that what Freud called the unconscious mm -hmm. escapes the digital machine. It's a very specific notion of the uh, unconscious. The second thing is that these new possibilities of social control open up by different forms of directly attaching machines to our mind gain a special importance with not only the ongoing pandemic. And since you are here from India, I want to tell you that I'm quite fascinated how comparatively mm -hmm. India is not doing so bad per capita, you know, 
Everybody thought, oh, India, dirty country, big chaos, and so on. It will be a catastrophe, no? No, you have, if one can trust, I don't know, your numbers in India, then you are doing much better than an average West European, uh, uh, much more in superficial technological sense, but you are developed now. Uh, top consumer is developed state. But what I want to say is that as a reaction of pandemic, you know, here I see this idea of a wired brain, where also you can have then viruses implanted. Now I'm talking about digital viruses and real life biological viruses. I see a certain echo in this too. Why? Because as we usually say, lockdowns and so on, as a consequence of pandemic, uh, limited our social contacts. I repeatedly said that I don't think our social contacts are limited. Just our bodily contact, bodily proximities are limited. I, when I am asked by journalists, what do you miss? most in this time of lockdowns? My answer is always the same. I miss my loneliness, you know. <laughs> I want to be more alone. You know why? It's not just a cheap paradox, but our everyday state is trying to control us now more than ever. They say, and they are maybe right, because to prevent the, uh, uh, the virus to spread and so on. But we are, the, those in power use this to expand even more the control of all our means of communication. And just to conclude, please allow me this, then I give you all the time. This is, for example, now I will speak as an old-fashioned Marxist, uh, one of the points when I felt, no, I cannot feel sympathy for Donald Trump, you know, but that something unjust happened to him. When you remember when two weeks ago or when, when he was uh, excluded, excommunicated by, I call them, like we call them in Maoist times, the gang of four of our digital space, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and okay, YouTube. Uh, now, in the case of Trump, I said, good, why not exclude him? But the problem is this one, as we all know. A guy, they said, by example, Twitter or Facebook excluded, canceled his account, excluded Trump. Who did this exactly? Do they have some ethical committee? Did they, who, who did this decision? You know why this is important? Because De facto, these four entities which form the gang of four, Twitter and so on, are today our public space, our commons. Even what we do now is mediated through this technology. And they are all privatized. So it means this is not like going to another restaurant and so on. If you buy books, you almost have to do in many countries with Amazon, and so on, and so on. So we have now a new type of mega capital, 
which doesn't exploit you directly. That, that's that's but, quite but, you know, uh, important uh, point. Getting the rent, it's rent. I think we are returning to rent. Bill Gates, for example, became so wealthy because he is collecting rent from owning part of our public space. And this, I think, has to be in some sense stopped. This is the destruction of our public space when a private company, which then, of course, can be connected with secret police, other agencies, and so on, is controlling our public space and can cut us off whenever it wants, and so on, and so on. I talk too much. I'm sorry. Please. Yeah, actually, you actually raised a very important point. You know, actually, people uh, seem quite confused, you know, the, with that kind of transparency. You know, actually, there's some liberal and then individualist, you know, try to insist, you know, that kind of a big data would, you know, take over the, our privacy, our private, you know, the life, something like that. But you actually raised some different question. You know, actually, this big company will uh, use, you know, this kind of data, you know, without permission. And then uh, I, I think that actually the, 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 the example you actually took, you know, the, the Trump, you know, case, you know, that actually yeah. somebody, you know, decided one guy would, you know, the one or we two guys. We don't know who, decided. what mechanism. Exactly. That is actually the something behind this scene, you know, something yeah. behind this scene. So that is so important point, in my opinion. You know? So it's not the kind of uh, the state power, you know, the, it's not kind of a big brother. It's, that is a real big brother, you know, behind this scene. But it actually the those people uh, behave like a good, you know, the guy, and then uh, like a superman, you know, try to the, save the world, you know, the, the prohibiting ban, you know, actually the, the billions, you know, Twitter, something like that. So uh, that's a very interesting point. But uh, can I just say, and then you will pardon me, I will shut up. Okay. Uh, do, do the others also know, Alex, your text that you've sent me about yeah. your experience of watching the two movies? Yeah. How it was suggested by some uh, algorithm and so on, you know. So again, uh, what makes me sad in such experiences? I'm not a paranoiac. I don't mind if they try to guess based on my past choices what I would like to watch next. What just annoys me is that now this is a comical interlude. That in my case they are usually totally inefficient. All this from on Amazon, on Netflix, suggestions, what should I want, and so on, they always miss it. Never, never again. But what I want to say is that, you see, they are not just controlling us. They are suggesting choices. They are actively actively trying to manipulate us to, to define they are doing something much more dangerous, dangerous than just choosing. Like in North Korea, probably, sorry to mention the country, in North Korea, you don't have this choice. You are simply expected or told to, to watch when the leader has a speech or whatever, no freedom. But I find our type of freedom maybe even more dangerous, where you think that you are still acting as a free individual. You browse around, you look, but the very space of possible choices is, is determined. 
by some algorithms and by people who can manipulate these algorithms uh, and, and, and so on and so on. That's why I think your example, Alex, is very important. How in this case, it even had a relatively good result because you made a nice comparative study between the same melodramatic topic, but but uh, the two films, you know. But uh, so you were well manipulated. A friend, <laughs> no, in this case, a friend, good friend could have done something of the same order to you. An American friend could have told you because you first watched the, the Bollywood film, no? could have told you, but my God, there is a Hollywood film which is a similar story, but with another twist. So it was not so, but uh, <coughs> the point I want to make is that excessive choice, mm. and it's an impossible position almost, you know, like you want to watch a movie if you are corrupted like me and I have on my big screen TV, everything that is to say uh, HBO, Netflix, uh, Amazon, Prime Video. Mm -hmm. uh, it's simply too much choice and how, this is a nice dialectical phenomenon, how too much choice can effectively cancel choice. Means you are, if there are hundreds of films there, you are helpless and all the more open to suggestions, you know. Uh, so uh, I think that this type of mental control, steering, domination is, sorry to repeat my old mantra, mantra, is important because our usual definition of freedom is precisely what we are doing in front of a, of a screen when we want to watch a movie. My God, you are free to choose. You just do whatever you want. You can even make risks and uh, watch some secret data, some hardcore pornography. You are free. But for this reason, the most dangerous form of unfreedom is the unfreedom that you experience as freedom, that you don't even experience as unfreedom. And Second thing, let's not forget that uh, whenever there are multiple choices, I always suspect that they are obfuscating one real choice. This is for me the crucial distinction. I'm always suspicious when people say you can choose from 30, 40 movies. Okay, but where is the real choice? Sorry, I talk too much. All right, so uh, I think actually that is a very uh, interesting. We actually get into a very interesting topic, you know, actually the, how the, the kind of algorithm would you know, influence the, actually our behavior. But uh, actually, the, I want to get back to your actually mention about Luther, Martin, Martin Luther's in the book. Is, uh, he actually criticized the church, you know, to sell uh, actually that kind of future scene, you know, scene actually not yet to happen. But yeah. I think I think that this kind of algorithm industry would you know sell that kind of our future behavior. You know, they try to sell a, a kind of possibility of our modification, you know, of our behavior. That means uh, they actually try to actually change our behavior, not you know, the control us. They try to guide our yeah. desire, you know. 
just like uh, actually the you know churches you know the certificate you know actually you pay that this certificate and you you are actually future sin gonna be uh, forgiven something like that so uh, that means if you buy uh, this you know the the the, the commodity I mean, the cultural commodity you would actually enjoy your life better something like that is a better life they promised us you know kind of better life so this Wait is my opinion you know uh, i first it, all my sympathy to the other three guys I see the one, two, three, four, five, six to the other four guys. I'm just afraid that that the two of us, but by this I mean me especially, are simply monopolizing, uh, are simply monopolizing uh, the space too much. Couldn't we include a little bit what the other four uh, expect uh, expect to hear? Yeah, I have a question. Yeah, like you were talking too much. You were talking about this world brain and, um, like you know, the the apparatus of capsules that that we are surrounded with. In this context, yeah. I want to I want to ask you one one question. Do you still hold your disagreement with Agamben, a proposed surveillance and control measures adopted by the state machines across the globe, normalizing the state of exception? As you pointed out in your book on COVID, like yeah, yeah, uh, uh, it's a good question. Yes, I I do stick I do stick to it absolutely. And okay, this will be a kind of a low blow, you know. But uh, what put me into a panic is how. Do you know that many American right wing, the populist new right, say the same thing or even directly refer to Agamben? Uh, uh, what well, I, I know Agamben is a radical leftist politically. I mean, I know his politics. But uh, what I fear is did you? Read, he published now in Italian, and I saw, I don't know if it was legal, an English translation, where it sounds really tragic what he is saying. He is no longer denying COVID. He, his idea is no longer that old naive one, you know, that is just a form of fluids, exaggerated, and so on. No, he even accepts that maybe it's the end of the world. It's the end of us. But he then quotes old traditions where saying when your house is burning, it's his metaphor, the only decent thing to do is to go on with your daily life as far as possible in a normal way, to stick to old rituals and so on and so on. And I think without implying a dirty false thing that he is somehow connected with the, the Trump mob and so on, but if you look, if you abstract from the excesses, and they are not marginal, of what Trump followers are doing, we should not forget, my God, that, they're, uh, that they're the basic 
their basic reaction is our usual daily way of life is threatened. And although what they understand by way of life is not just meeting friends, having a drink, it's basically the way of life of white middle classes. They feel a whole series of threats. Uh, you have the threat of uh, others, other races penetrating the, uh, the United States, political danger, rapists, whatever you want, killers, drug dealers. Then uh, uh, you have things like pandemic and so on, uh, medical crisis. You have uh, economic crisis because of outsourcing of industries, whatever. They see a whole and also global warming. For them, this is a, a plot. It doesn't exist. So their answer is a paranoiac one. It is, behind this, there must be one big plot. But nonetheless, uh, their basic experience, insight, their basic insight that our way of life, the way we knew it till now, with all our then in so-called individual freedoms, like having a gun, free access to arms. You know that there was one industry in the United States which in the last year profited even more than health industry, uh, comparatively, it's the arms industry. Now, everybody wants to be armed and so on. But what I'm saying is that not only because of COVID pandemic, but if you add first other, not only the variations, mutations of the virus, but other pandemics which are threatening, then what is happening at the level of global warming and other catastrophes? Didn't you in India, you just barely avoided it, I think, a mega invasion by locusts from 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 Eastern uh, Africa, no? It crossed the Arab countries, then it stopped somewhere in India. These are, these are gigantic catastrophes. Or for example, forget about people. You know how many hundreds of millions of pigs they had to, okay, if you are from a Muslim university, you don't care about this, but <laughs> hundreds of millions of pigs were killed there. So, and how, what crazy things are happening we see in temperatures, in temperatures. For example, we were shocked a week ago. Okay, it's from our perspective, but the same things must be happening elsewhere. Uh, in Spain, they had uh, 60 centimeters of snow freezing. In Greece, in Athens, it was 31 degrees and so on, people could swim. So what I'm saying is that, unfortunately, I think we are entering a new era. We will have to change up the basic coordinates of our life. I don't, I think we should drop this perspective of, oh, just that we, now we will be all uh, uh, vaccinated and then we return to normality. No, this is my first premise. It's the beginning of a very difficult state of emergency. 
And I, my answer to Agamben would be here, yes, it's even worse than you think. And I don't think this state of emergency could be uh, accounted for as the way of a state to control us more, uh, to establish uh, more authority. Yes, this is true, but you know what is much more frustrating? It's that especially in many highly developed countries, in spite of this new mode of control, controlling our movements and so on and so on, as the latest numbers show, the state even cannot do this. How limited is the state in what it can do? They cannot, they cannot control. They cannot control because I think that what is so and I would like to draw a contrast between the first wave of pandemic and now this sounds Eurocentric. By first wave, I simply mean the first ep because other parts of the world didn't have the same two waves. You know, this is really very Eurocentric. But what I want to say is this. In March, April, it was what I ironically called a normal panic. We were in a panic, you saw. Now it's no longer just panic. Now it's, I call it simply depression. People uh, act in a much more relaxed relief. The worst is over. It's everything is lost. Who knows what will happen and so on. So, so who cares what we do? In Slovenia, in my country, we have now 20 times more cases per day than in March, April, when we were in total lockdown. But life is much more relaxed. People simply accepted this as our fate, uh, and so on, and so on. So uh, uh, what gives me, I wouldn't say hope, but some opening is precisely that. And now I come to the unfortunate word communism. No. I am not an idiot. I don't think now, all of a sudden, a big new communist party will emerge democratic, open, progressive, and will save us. No, I'm just saying this, that, that it's in a way generally accepted, basically. A couple of things which are crucial, incredible, that first, uh, uh, Market mechanisms, I'm not saying we should directly move into some kind of a state-run economy, but should be in some sense socialized. Mm. The state or community, I don't know precisely in what way, for example, should decide. We need vaccines, we need this, we need that. And it, it's not enough to say... We will use market mechanisms, print money, uh, solicit companies. It has to be done fast. Economy in some basic dimensions should be socialized. There are tremendous challenges ahead of us here. The, the first thing. The second thing, a kind of universal egalitarianism. Of course, rich states already are cheating like crazy. Uh, the world record in uh, vaccinations in, is Israel now, no. But the way I read, they mostly ignore uh, the West Bank, which is under their control. But 
What I want to say is that, uh, uh, nonetheless, everybody agrees in principle that the pandemic should only could only be fought through this. Let's through some kind of egalitarianism, and so on and so on. So I think that. Are we aware what is already happening with capitalism? Yes, on the one hand, COVID meant a much stronger uh, uh, social separation. The few rich got much more rich. Middle class disappearing, we know the story, the poor even more and so on. And uh, I think that, Uh, I think that, again, this cannot be left to the market. Some kind of social action is needed. And it can be done. I don't think the Chinese have a monopoly on it, you know. Then I'm immediately accused, oh, you want us to to, uh, act like a Chinese Communist Party. No, then I take one example which many people don't like. But my God, uh, the... uh, Listen, uh, Taiwan did it even more efficiently than China, you know. Take the case of Taiwan, which precisely resists being part of China. And their numbers are even better than in China. Or take Vietnam and so on. So it's not enough just to have a state bureaucracy. Some kind of community will have to be re-emerged. And just to finish, this seems to me important. Now when people tell me, but listen, you dream about this, this is just rhetorics. In reality, what is happening is just that capital is taking over more than ever and so on and so on. I say yes, but this is already a reaction to the threat that they feel. Because on the one hand, look what even Trump and Boris Johnson had to do. Because for our ideological, in our ideological situation, you cannot openly allow too many people to starve. There is a limit in our liberal sensitivity, which is not bad because, for example, when there was more 100 years ago or more in India and other places, a big uh, uh, starvation, the British simply, as they did in Ireland before, isolated that part of the country and left millions to die. That's at least one small sign of progress. Today, when there is big hunger somewhere, it somehow makes it to the the media. So so, uh, my point is that, yes, those empowered, but look, even Trump, felt obliged to propose the check of $2,000 to every family or whatever, which means a form of universal basic income. Boris Johnson nationalized temporarily railways to organize them and so on. So even conservatives in power have to do some, under quotation marks, communist measures. Now, friends, tell me, but of course you do this when there is war, and this is comparable to war. So, but later, when things will come back to normal, all this will be forgotten. Well, 
I don't think there will be a later, later in the terms of, you know, somewhere, maybe even in one year from now, we will just forget about this, you know, that's and uh, return to normal life. I think we are entering a new period of permanent emergency. And uh, my formula here, I repeat it for the 10th time, my most fa favorite one is the one that I heard in Chile. You know, when, how did the popular movement react to this general catastrophic perspective, the, the end of the world is coming, you know? Their, their reply was not, no, if we take over, there will be no crisis. No, their reply was, another end of the world is possible. You know? <laughs> we have to do our own end of the world. Because just to uh, conclude, I hope we all agree in this, what I say now. Uh, there are different strategies of how our enemies are trying to counteract this obvious push towards some kind of socialization, communism, and so on. One is the Trumpian populist one, denying you silently went over how many people died just to retain normal life. The other is the technocratic solution. Most of us living in bubbles under total state control and so on and so on. This is the Bill Gates solution. We also should decline it. And now it's our chance. What I reject, the most dangerous idea for me, much more dangerous than Trumpian populism, is this idea. Now we are in a time of emergency, which, and here I agree with the Gamben, if you read it him in this way, now we are living in a time of emergency, which means that, that, uh, that there is no time for politics. Like in a bed, you cannot debate with your officer, you know. We have to follow orders, science and state and health administration will tell us what to do. Forget about emancipatory political activity. I, okay, may I jump in? Please. Is it, is it okay yes. to, you know, uh, uh, pleasure to, to be with you, Slavoj. And uh, mm, let me play uh, devil's advocate a little bit. Because Please. you, you, you Who is the about devil in this case? Uh, well, let me get to that. I, I will be okay because okay. let me just let me turn to your book because in your book there is no mention whatsoever of oh. resistance, not one word regarding resistance. So I would like to hear something about what you feel might be a a way to somehow <sighs> somehow to plug in or plug plug out of the the wired uh, brain. So in, in, for me, when we think about someone like Elon Musk. Mm, I'm always thinking like he's a bit like Trump, like the, as you call Trump, the obscene other. And yeah. I, when I was thinking about this idea of, okay, so how would Slavoj think about some kind of resistance? Well, maybe he would invoke Hegel's idea of a shift in perspective, perhaps, okay, in terms of the wound and how, how that concept might might work in this kind of, wired brain, this collective intelligence. But then the other side of it, this concern with freedom and whether we would be, we would be aware that we're being somehow, uh, somehow kind of uh, direct, directed artificially. Mm -hmm. Well, that brought to me the idea of, of bad faith. 
something like the Sartrean idea of bad faith, where, as you know, in Sartre, this idea of a unification of uh, freedom, of uh, the for itself with the in itself, and that would be Elon Musk's idea of God, this kind of absolute spirit, as you argument, it seems to me, is working out. But then it seems to me from that, then, like, why not? Why not uh, dispense with desire, with individual desires? Why? Because it's so much work to to desire. So why not give yourself over to the collective algorithmic unconscious? Why not be directed by these obscene others like Trump or like Elon Musk? Why not have, uh, you know, uh, bespoke pornography tailored to you artificially? Why not have that? Why not? Why not embrace virtual reality, a better than life reality? Why not have direct access to that? Why not? Why not? Why do we need to be concerned with language? Why? Why would? Why? Why we can dispense with language? Why not have this artificial language given to us? It seems that we could have whatever fetish you want. You know, we could every minor fetish could be given over to ourselves. And then we could be unified in this, in this perverse, collective, algorithmic, unconscious. And the other side to that is is language. I mean, it's not just uh, the, uh, one universal language. There are languages which you could say would resist this kind of this uh, this invasion by people like Elon Musk. I mean, if Lacan said about what Lacan said about the Japanese language or maybe what Freud said about the, about the, the unconscious of the Irish, maybe that is the means where we resist somehow. Mm. Maybe th- there is a structure, a structural part of concrete languages which, which might offer a way to, to, to resist in some way. So I guess my frustration with your idea of the wire brain is that is that there is no there's no question there's no question of what what the world brain might be, and then you have a, a rich resource in the 20th century of people like Vladimir Vernadsky or then Tela de Chardin on uh, mm. even H.G. Wells who would give us a a way to think about the kind of as you said this kind of uh, horrific organization of the internet as we have now, and that would be a kind of a means to resist, I think, using that kind of particular language. So, yeah, so I'll leave it there, if you have a response. Uh, thanks very much. A very precise, I appreciate it, good, brutal, but brutal in a good sense, clear <laughs> question. You know, uh, 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 first, uh, uh, what I fear is... The crucial, the most interesting part in what you said for me were desire. Let's uh, let's just enjoy it. Let's our immersion into it. Let's abandon desire and so on and so on. It's that uh, I'm generally a pessimist here. I think that if we do this, the result. Judge, I'm not professionally a psychoanalyst. It's obvious. Look at me. I'm half crazy. If anybody would like to be my patient, he definitely is crazy. Then, <laughs> Don't. But I know enough about even clinic where they told me that today the 
typical problem for psychoanalysts is no longer oppression and how to restore your desire. It's that you feel like in this, what you say, what you described as your utopia, we all of us are with our fetishes and so on and so on. I claim that even before the pandemic, even before the the this prospect of the wired universe and so on, this was already happening. My pessimism is in this. What you described as a utopia, each of us, again, our small desires and so on and so on, where I can easily imagine uh, <coughs> this multiple perverse universe where everything will be permitted to each of us, he, she, it, his, her, its own uh, uh, small fantasy. But I think that precisely this kind of global permissivity here I am, an insupportable Hegelian dialectician, would have and is already ending in, uh, I call it, I know I will provoke many people by this politically correct terror. Because, you know, there is always this trick. Yes, everything should be permitted, but to make sure that everything is permitted, that there are no uh, double game secret orders. We should we should regulate very well what can you do so that you are really free. So I think that first the state that you are describing fits perfectly what friends are telling me today. Uh, friends in the cleaning. We are entering a period where sexuality is. Dis uh, disappearing. You know that people less and less engage in sexuality act actively, at least in the so-called, I'm sorry for the term, developed Western countries. And if they do, it, quite a lot of it is virtual sex. So this, uh, to answer, pro I think that what you described as this universe of shared consciousness where each to us has its own uh, perversions and so on and so on. Well, uh, first, the first question I ask is uh, if we are immersed into this collective self-awareness, will we still have each of us our own small fantasies? This is what always uh, interest, uh, uh, interested me. Here, this type of collective enjoyment, I am afraid that de facto it will end in not a new form of oppression, but I use the term here, depression. You know, as Agamben himself, uh, uh, in his big book on melancholia and whatever, demonstrated very nicely, melancholic depression is not that you lose something, but you cannot abandon it. Melancholia is a kind of preemptive morning. The, the object is here accessible to you, but you lose the desire for that object. And this is depression. Depression is, yes, I can have it, but I lose the interest for it. 
So the second thing uh, that I would add here instantly is, can we even imagine the sexuality we have it now without the so-called even straight sexuality, without all its, uh, its uh, 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 brutal aspects, uh, ambiguity. For example, Freud showed it in a very convincing way through more than ever, I claim today, that the prohibition of desire always turns necessarily into a desire for prohibition. You, in a perverted way, start to enjoy the very, prohib the very prohibitions. And I know this, uh, how this happens in pandemic. Many of my uh, obsessional, neurotic, compulsive, neurotic friends, and here I am my own friend, I am doing it, is that uh, all this, you know, don't shake hands with you, give a distance. I began to enjoy this as new rituals. I no longer even take them as an as an uh, oppression. So it's, it's something that that I don't enjoy. I openly enjoy these rituals. So again, what I am afraid is that this new state, without of globalized perversion, de facto could mean globalized depression because. You know, sex, I will repeat a story, most of you know it, but it's my favorite from, uh, that I found, I think, even with some stupid comment in The Guardian. Uh, Eva Weissman, I think, uh, lady commentator there, was shocked. She watched something which I think is very instructing to watch. I, no irony here. Not hardcore pornography, but movies about the making of hardcore pornography. You know, like the camera is five, ten yards behind all it, and you see the whole scene. And there is a, an example there. She was shocked by it, which tells everything to me. It shows standard heterosexual act. The guy, woman on the bed, the guy is doing it. Then in the middle of the scene, while they are shooting it, the guy steps back and said, sorry, I'm losing erection. Could please somebody bring me quickly uh, my iPhone so that I go on Pornhub to get excited again. Now there is open absurdity in this. You had there the ultimate object itself, wet, excited woman, but isn't this, what more do you want? Ah, no, you need fiction, you need virtual images to arouse you in reality. And I think this is the nature at its most elementary of our sexuality. Slavoj, Slavoj, uh, Slavoj. Yeah. I think uh, actually Joffu would have uh, another you know, comment on the... Please, topic. I'm sorry. I just talk. Uh, you, you, Alex, should be more the dominant. Yeah. <laughs> Interrupt me more. Uh... No worries, uh, no thank, thank you for that. It makes, makes a lot of sense. And, but then, you know... It's perfect that we're talking about your book today because of uh, Trump and the impeachment and you mention it in your book. So I just picked up on your concept of the obscene other and as you refer to Trump. And then I was thinking about the current iteration of the World Wide Web and 
you know, as you know, the flows of data across the planet uh, are like stupid Netflix or Amazon or two thirds mm. of the, the internet flows are por- pornography, you know, in some form. So then in some way, then, you know, it's not a question of desire anymore. It's a question of the drives being uncoupled and being, and you know, having free reign. And that is precisely the point where we begin, we should begin to form a, a critique of of people like these obscene others like like Elon Musk because those guys you know if Trump you know and these ridiculous TV shows and things like this this is the pure unbinding of 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 the drives and then we have all kinds of mental implosion as a consequence now that to me is a way to offer some perspective on on to, to some perspective on resistance and as you say in your book this is a question of the shifting perspective what we need so then for for me asking someone of great eminence like you i, I am demanding uh, some idea of resistance well uh, now my answer may disappoint you here but uh, i it will maybe, I do it as a provocation. I am 99% convinced by my own argument, not all the way. Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> but uh, the true miracle for me is still, although he was sidestepped, it looked bad whatsoever, but okay, let me begin with Trump and then pass on to Bernie Sanders. I don't have any big illusions about Bernie Sanders, but I want to focus on another dimension here. Uh, whenever I get to debate Trump, I got this argument, he just says what he thinks, he's totally unleashed and so on. No, he is a pervert. But you know what Freud says? Nowhere is it more difficult to access the unconscious than in perversion. Perverts are not really free people. Oh, I want to screw you in this way. I can do whatever I want and so on. No, perverts are really the most calculating, uh, self-controlled people. So I think that all this Trump's openness and so on. No, he is a deeply compulsive person. If Trump is not something, he is not a really liberating pervert. And also another thing, a term that I am now writing a text on it that I would like to introduce. What happened in a capital, incidentally, I don't think it was a real coup. It was a fast. The carnival, but you know how in my youth uh, 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 Herbert Marcuse turned around Marx. He says he said that you know Marx said first as a tragedy, then as a fast, and Marcuse said apropos fascism, it's first a fast, then as a tragedy. Fascism appears first as a fast, and this was a big carnivalesque fast. For me, sorry to lose time with this, but I find it a wonderful detail. For me, the, the image of capital 
and the, the mob entering it is, you know, I don't know his name, that idiot with a kind of a Viking-like helmet with horns, you know. Yeah. But do you know, I'm a specialist in this. This is my private right-wing <laughs> dream. I liked Vikings when I was young. Do you know that historically Vikings never had helmets with horns? Horns were invented in early 19th century, late romantic imagination. Some people think that even during the staging of first Wagner's operas. So what I'm saying here is that uh, my answer to conservatives, these neoconservatives who support Trump, would be maybe crazy, paradoxical for you. It would have been, you are afraid of this multicultural Liberalism, historicist, relativism, and so on of postmodern culture. Why are you then for Trump? If there ever was a postmodern relativist, historicist, pervert, cynical president, it was Trump. And the way Bernie enters the show for me, and politically, I think we should shamelessly appropriate this approach. Bernie measured by the most strict classical moralistic standard. Bernie is basically a pretty decent, as far as we can say, simple, ordinary man. It was the same with Jeremiah Corbyn. What fascinated people is there was, I don't know what's the reality behind. But I th so I think it's time for us who still want to resist, be the left, to get the lesson which many people resist to that a certain type of language of transgression don't identify carnival play a game everything is relative and so on it's more and more part of the of the discourse of those in power today mm -hmm. and that that uh, to resist this ordinary naive call to decency is very important. And I, to, even in the most moralistic, normal sense, do you know, first, I thought this is my crazy idea. But then in so many countries that I visited, they, I got the same message. In, I was even involved, I did some videos supporting Lucho Arce, the finance minister who now returned to power in Bolivia. He was already economy minister. And I have even a brief contact with him. And he told me, I consider myself as a socialist technocrat, you know, like ordinary, decent efficiency in Chile, where they have those gigantic protests. You know, it was, sorry to use this Lacanian jargon word, the master signifier, the main symbol of the rebellion, not uh, 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 abolish capitalism, uh, socialize, but decency. People feel robbed of their decency. The same was in Turkey. Mm. In mm. Turkey. Yeah. When yeah. there were two, three years ago, the big demonstrations there. So I think that, uh, I think that, uh, I think that uh, the way to break out of this vicious cycle of, on the one hand, this new right obscenity, which is a carnival, a mode of carnival, which, again, doesn't mean it shouldn't be taken seriously. It begins as a carnival, 
then give it a couple of years, it can turn into another thing. Don't remember that Nazis were also in Germany, if you read history. Till late 20s, they were mostly perceived as a fringe uh, right-wing group with their obscene jokes, ridiculous, people laughed at them, and so on and so on. No, it's first it's a farce, then it's a tragedy. And I think how to prevent this, I think to really resist, we should mobilize what too many people today dismiss as even a neoconservative thing, like common decency, morality, and so on. And that is, for me, you may disagree, the genius of Bernie Sanders. He said once that we should not uh, get caught into this liberal democratic centrist wish of just uh, remaining in the center, not moving too much to the left so that we don't lose the middle voices. No, we should follow Trump here. The more Trump went to the extreme, the more votes he got. And we should do the same in the sense that, as Bernie said, our target should be disappointed Trump voters. All those ordinary people, although who feel threatened. Although the situation I know is more complex because we now know that all those ordinary people in the capital first, most of them were middle class, even upper middle class, and second, they were supported financially by billionaires and so on and so on. But uh, my, I think that one thing, maybe it's too modest, that we have to do is to is to do what Julian Assange was doing to make the game transparent in the sense that people should know as much as possible on how they are controlled and so on and so on. Here again, I have a paradoxical conclusion or implication. I don't think people really don't know. Quite many of us are these compromising guys who prefer not to know. You know, I met some ordinary middle-class Americans after, how is it called that? It was it Ab, not Abu Ghraib in, in Iraq, that prison where all those photos came out, how American soldiers were torturing, oh, no. humiliating. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, sorry? Yeah. You, know that, you know that many of my friends, they are no longer my friends, of course, because of this. The reaction was, we know this is going on, but why Why to render this public? Like, torture, do whatever you want, just do it discreetly. Do it behind the closed door. We don't want to know about it. No, people should be forced to know about it. That's why we need Assange. And here, although I'm not totally pro-George Orwell. I always repeat maybe the greatest for me saying of Orwell, not all that stuff, Brave New World, uh, War is Peace, whatever, but when he said that freedom of the press really means that you are free to tell the people what they don't want to hear. Hmm. If you cannot do this, then there is no freedom of the press. So I wouldn't... uh, 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 when you say resistance, I will just conclude with another endlessly repeated by me, Benjamin's thought, 
that fascism is always a sign or the result of a failed revolution. For me, precisely this populist Trump rebellion is a, an eternal reminder that we, the left, lost our chance. And I think that, unfortunately, through more catastrophes and so on, things are not so bad for us. Look what happened in the last years in the United States. It's a tremendous achievement. The term socialism was publicly rehabilitated. You can use it as a legitimate orientation and even get elected to the Congress and so on and so on. Things are coming. There are rebellions here and there. I'm not too optimistic here. I, I, so I don't worry about will we be able to resist it or not. I worry much more about ways of the establishment, the populist new right, to, to, to reappropriate those forms of uh, rebellion. All right. So, uh, Slavoj, actually, we have two questions from audiences. You know, uh, one yeah. is actually already answered, you know, by uh, we actually discussed the kind of resistance. And another one is uh, uh, Tashik Baroy. Tashik Baroy, a uh, question here. Uh, data appropriation goes unquestioned in most of our society. Is this a result of uh, desanitization? So, uh, of, of the result of the last word that desanitization desanitization a sensitization sensitization yeah and that's a very interesting point mm-hmm. if i understood the question correctly uh, because you know we speak about this uh, uh, again uh, permissive society everything public and so on and so on but uh, to focus about how in all these freedoms and so on, new taboos emerge all the time. And so, uh, yes, I think that that the era we are entering now, at least at the level of pleasure, sexual life, and so on, is a kind of a, not, it's not just, uh, maybe I didn't understand the question, it's not just, Uh, 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 not enough uh, sanitization, older things can be brought out, and so on and so on. No. Behind all this, there are still some fundamental prohibitions on both sides. I don't think that in contrast to left liberal, politically correct fanatics, although they also have their own unspoken rules, secrets, I don't think that the new popular right is really this type of outspoken, outspoken, exploiting, you know, exploding freedom. No, they are even more self-controlled. They know very well whom to attack, what to do, in what sense, and so on and so on. So, uh, so, <coughs> sorry, uh, we are uh, uh, so. Uh, This is, for me, again, the fundamental paradox today. That's why I feel alive as a Hegelian today. How things turn into their opposite, you know. You want true permissivity, you end up with a long list of politically correct uh, uh, 
prohibitions. You get, uh, you again, you want to be this free, pseudo free, of course, uh, 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 alternative right, obscene guy, we can use dirty words, look what Trump was doing, and so on and so on. But you end in a much more oppressive society, you end in a combination of oppression and depression. So uh, uh, I think that, you know how in history, the term order, new order, was mostly reappropriated by fascists even, no? Fascists said, too much chaos, we need a new order. But it wasn't always so. Antonio Gramsci, when he was still in freedom, you know that he was editing a communist journal, journal whose title was Il Nuovo Ordine, the new order. And I think we should approach it in the same way. The new world order is the right motto. It's just totally reappropriated by the new capital. The new world order is something very interesting. Global capital, I'm not paranoid, but like the predominant spontaneous opinion of them, is that capitalism as we know it is in a crisis. It had to be reset. Our answer should be yes, but not on your capitalist terms. We really need a new order. And we should think in these terms. I'm here, maybe a leftist fascist, I don't care. But my point is, I don't like this leftist dreaming of, even some of my leftist friends were fascinated by capital. Uh, events. They said, look, we, the real people, should be doing this, not just the uh, Trump mob. They almost cried, like, my God, isn't it nonetheless nice? People penetrated that, no? I told him, yes, this is a momentary carnival. We leftists should do something else. Ask what will happen the day later. Let's say that up, the upheaval, the revolution, whatever wins. What new order will we establish the, uh, the morning after, when you get sober? How will ordinary people feel the difference? That's why uh, you all know probably the movie V for Vendetta, where at the end, popular movement wins, enters the parliament, people take over, and it's the end of the movie. And my point is always, I use it in my books, that I would give all the money I have for a movie called V for Vendetta Part 2. Okay, they take over. What will they do then? What will they do in industry? How will they socialize it and so on? And I don't think it's a, it's a totally hopeless situation here. Like what you, my Indian friend, told me Kerala, no? Yeah. Communists are there, a modest job, but they are doing something. Or my favorite example, Bolivia. Bolivia, the carnival was there from the right. The right wing organized a coup against Morales and his regime, which was very orderly, well organized, knew they were doing, they didn't screw up the economy and my God, in elections, which were 
probably really free, not to control, they came back again to power. We should follow guys like that. I think I am tired of the leftists who secretly enjoy their failures, you know. Like there was an element of this with some people in Syriza. We lost, oh, now we can retire to our tenured university posts and write thick books about why we had to lose. We need victories, not triumphant victories, but victories which show people that we really can change their daily lives. It can be done. That's very actually the good conclusion of your talk, actually. Any uh, more questions or comments? I would like to do it again, but where you, Alex, or who is the leader, has you, did you see all of you, I repeat all this joke, the, the James Bond movie Goldfinger, where you have that famous scar with the red button, you press it and the guy sitting next to you is thrown out. So that you will have, Alex, that red button if I get to talk too much, you press it. So why don't we do it again, but without focusing on me? I'm genuinely interested in your perspective. Yeah, you're already you're already member of the, our network. Is a critical post media. Yeah, but it's not enough to be a text. member. Stalin was also also <laughs> just a member of the Politburo. But we must reverse. We must reverse Sorry? Stalin. We must reverse Stalin. <laughs> You want to be a new Stalin or what? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, quite seriously. I would love to see, because I am, especially when I'm caught into some convincing, appealing to me to be convincing ideas, I'm afraid that I'm too much immersed into my own topic. You know, that's my professional philosophical uh, uh, deformation. And I would like genuinely to see your perspective. How are things? How are things there? I'm not against universalism. I don't believe in this bullshit. You know, each of us is no. In some sense, we are all universal, and the true, but the true universality is precisely a universality which only moves from one to another particularity. Like my idea, sorry to think it's really boring idea. Why is Shakespeare great? Because on the one hand, yes, it's typical product of his time, but it's not just that he has some universal message. What is so beautiful in Shakespeare is how that his big place can be reinvented, restaged, in totally different cultures. Like, we have a Japanese friend there. Do you know that I think that the greatest, uh, uh, the, for me, maybe the greatest Shakespeare film is Kurosawa's, not his version of Macbeth, but you know that Kurosawa did in late 50s, I think, his version of Hamlet, but set in contemporary Japan, where... Hamlet is a student in the United States. He returns home. Uh, the uncle killed his father, took over the company, and so on. It's totally set in contemporary Japan. Or again, Kurosawa, although I don't like him too much generally, but take Kurosawa's, I don't know what's the term, Kurosawa 
made also after the war the best version that I know of uh, of idiot of Dostoevsky's idiot. Can you imagine a more different culture that? Russian and Japanese, you can do it. And that's what I would like to, to get from you, you know. Not your particular sheet, I don't care about that, but the universal dimension that will be in it precisely when you are totally faithful to it. For example, my visit in India years ago, I loved, if nothing else, my meeting with a group of, of those who are the lowest of the lowest caste who are uh, cleaning toilets. Yeah. And, you know, they gave me the best lesson against fake liberal identity politics. I asked them, what's your program? The answer was to put it very simply. Our program is we don't want to be what we are. It's none of it. We want to retain our unique experience or whatever. No. So please, Alex, if you are the secret boss, do it so that of yes. each of us will be in line to to yeah. to, to bore and uh, yeah. the our others. plan. Our plan is to organize a kind of series lecture, and then uh, not focused on the your you know on the personality, but uh, kind of topic centered. So uh, we want to actually bring in more uh, debate, you know, about uh, actually the series of topics and uh, which actually would be related to the uh, current issues and there were some philosophical issues we're gonna actually if you publish the world we would actually talk about more things you know the related to the urgent issue but uh, the purpose of our series definitely create kind of fiction you know as you said you know we need to fiction you know after the revolution something like that actually revolution would come or whatever, you know, just uh, people try to uh, bring in, you know, the kind of impressive, you know, movement. Yeah. We should give them a kind of narrative, give them an idea, whatever quote is a fiction. So uh, so that's why actually the the important thing is we need to reinvent, you know, the communism and we need to the rethink, rethink, you know, the such a historical... Yeah, experience. but don't you agree, sorry to interrupt the last time, yeah. with my basic idea that we are in a unique situation where many ideas, which if you were to mention them a year ago, a year and a half ago, you would be accused of crazy leftist, impossible, like universal healthcare, centralization of healthcare, worldwide coordination, all that stuff, is now obliged even conservatives in power are exactly. forced to practice it. For the, that's why I feel well, in some strange sense, that for the first time, we, with our radical ideas, are not talking into empty space. Exactly. The situation is calling for our measures, and those in power are desperately trying to block this progressive potential opened up by the ongoing crisis, no? Exactly. So uh, so we actually uh, intervened in many in a situation, including <laughs> as you actually mentioned, the vaccine problem, you know, actually the disparity, you know, of the distribution of the vaccine, you know, actually poor country um, yeah. ha- haven't got, you know, the, the vaccine enough, but, uh, you know, they, those, you know, country belong to a global south, you know, is uh, the, the, 
took part of that kind of necessary work. That means the necessary workers, mostly in the, actually the global south. But they mm-hmm. need a vaccine, you know, to support or some sustain this. But there is one good thing. There was a divine justice. Nonetheless, globally, yeah. in many poor countries, the numbers are nonetheless per capita lower. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you Indians do it? Do you have some theory? Let's say that your statistics, or do your statistics cheat or what? But it's wonderful. You get now lower numbers, even absolute numbers of new infections than France, uh, Spain, England, and so on. We don't trust Sorry? We don't trust the numbers. I think the numbers are just like giving us a, like, you know, sort of a reality, but that is not real, real. Ah, so you think that simply numbers are, are false. Yeah. Mm. But nonetheless, there are some mysterious things here. For example, you know, those big uh, refugee camps in northern Syria and so on. Syria, now talking about Syria. Okay. Yeah. Everybody was afraid that since they live in such crowded, non-hygienic conditions there, uh, 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 if there will be a case of COVID there, it will explode. It didn't. It didn't. There is like, sorry for the ironically obscene way of putting it, maybe this is a God who said you in the developed West had enough of one, it's time to punish you a little bit. You know, because uh, you know what's so uh, frustrating for us, not that we are very developed, Slovenia, but generally, how little we know about it. Again and again, we think this country controlled it and then it exploded. Now the latest horrors are Czech Republic and Portugal. So it's, we don't not only know a lot, but we know more and more how much we don't know. It's not, uh, we are far from controlling it. Sorry, but you see, this is what I would like to know. Think, things, like, things like this, you know. I'm very glad that in Korala, communists are still, because I heard that precisely because of this city uh, politics with farmers that that in uh, Kolkata, West Bengal, that they, they lost no power, or are they again in power? They lost. No? Yeah, but okay. uh, in the Indian context, I think, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was not as bad as we expected, like in, in the first phase. Like this, the tragic situation that we witnessed in Italy and all. That didn't. Mm-hmm. Like at that time, we were expecting. Like I was in personally. I thought like, what would be the Indian situation? But that way, uh, yeah, we didn't go into that sort of a mess. Like, yeah, that is right. But uh, I don't really trust the numbers coming out. This is also maybe one of the reasons because the rumor is that some of the Western European countries like Belgium, for commercial reasons, they report higher numbers. Anybody who dies and had COVID, even if he died of totally different reasons, they count it as a COVID death. You know why? Because COVID is considered dangerous and the hospital gets more money (laughs) from the state and so on. So we have all these paradoxes. Some countries exaggerated, 
Mm-hmm. Other countries are cheating in the opposite direction. For example, I know uh, of a friend of mine, his mother was Russian and she died. And it was clear that it was from COVID. And uh, you know what was the official listed reason of death? That I like it. Her heart stopped working. Well, this is the definition of that. Everybody dies of this. So uh, I really think that this is so important that we get a kind of what Fred Jameson would have called global general mapping of the situation. So I really am sincerely sad of talking too much. Please treat me as your slave next time and uh, you speak and and you should do the other thing to me. Not another James Bond feature that some kind of digital control in Chinese schools, they already have it. They put in some elementary schools some kind of a ring which measures the brain activity and if the child falls asleep, Mm -hmm. my proposal is you should put this on me if you see that I'm not attentive, then Alex or whoever pushes a button, which presses a button, which gives me an electric shock to awaken me so that I will follow actively. Yeah. Thanks. I'm really grateful. And Alex, more terror on me. More terror on me. All right. Just uh, I will invite you again. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. I thank you very much. And. Uh, how is the situation with in Korea? You are getting a little no, no, bit better. We no? successfully, I, I told you that actually we actually going to successfully actually settle down. So uh, the situation settled down. We reopened the shop, reopened the restaurant. Today. No, because you are now no longer at 1,000. You are around 500 per day now, no? Yeah, now actually the, the 300. Today is 300. My God, you know that we, Slovenia, a yeah. country of 2 million, really? we are around 2,000 a day. Yeah, we are the worst. Now it's falling to 1,500. Let's not lose time. Alex, take care of yourself. My best greetings to all of you. And now now I will be cynical. Now I have to prepare breakfast for my wife. (laughs) 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 (